0: this speaks to a bigger theme that uh, actors have to deal with in saying here's what i am here's what i have to offer this is me not do you think i'm ready what will you think about this are you going to give me an a am, am i doing this right uh, robert duvall has an incredible quote there is no right or wrong there's interesting and not this is LA's is good for utensil town a
1: podcast about the art science and business of filmmaking Each week, we bring you untold stories from the people who make Los Angeles the global capital of entertainment industry. Join us for your Hollywood 101. Originally from Alabama, Meredith moved to Philadelphia to
0: join a modern dance company. But how did she get into acting? I guess because Philly is so close to New York, there's a lot of sort of bleed over in the theatrical world there. Like A lot of Broadway shows would try out in in Philly and then move north. Um, And the theater scene is really strong in Philly, too. And so... Uh, as as well as because I was non-union at the time, um, as an actor, uh, I would a lot of commercials and, and sort of small scale stuff would would shoot there. So I would book um little commercials, you know, five hundred and a thousand dollar kind of commercials, non-union stuff. Um, and it was easy. So I was like, oh, this is fun. Let me just explore Let me, take some classes. Let me learn how to work on camera, that kind of thing. Um, started taking uh, acting technique to study with George decenzo in, in Philly and in New York, and he was just this incredible. Uh, just presence, um, but really, you know, scared the shit out of me. So I knew I had to go take his class a lot. Um, and I also worked for QVC because it's outside Philly. So I was like the hostess with the mostest there on QVC at 430 in the morning. <laughs> but it was always really fun. And you just talk about live TV. I mean, and cutting your teeth on improvisation that's how you do it um it was a great experience and, and looking back i would love something like that now in my life um just because it was so fun and it was stupid money um and eventually i kept working on like acting technique i started commuting back and forth to new york um took i took a two-year meisner class there i'm still really close with that teacher she's a wonderful woman um and eventually moved to new york and around in there um I had a manager at the time on the East Coast who set me up with an audition for Boardwalk Empire, and because of my dance background, I got cast in that. So I was in the first season of Boardwalk Empire, and that got me my SAG card. And that's where I was like, oh, I've got my SAG card now. I'm in. I'm going to work all the time in every series. Yeah. Done. (laughs) Uh, Did you move to L.A. eventually? Yeah, so eventually um so I spent about 5 years in New York. Um I decided to leave that company in Philly and move to New York. Um and pursued taking classes and like doing the grind of going to open calls, going to chorus calls, like getting my backstage magazine and look at all of the equity calls every day because at that point I had been done enough theater that I had my equity card too. So I'm like, I got both union cards, I am set. I'm I'm going to work all the time. Uh and in the meantime, I personal trained just to make money. Um, and the man that I'm married to, uh, got a job in New York that really, you know, sort of set us up to like have to stress less about paying rent because New York is much like LA in that sense. Um, and he got an opportunity to transfer to LA. And so I was like, well, if there's one city that's even better for me than New York, it's LA. And so five years ago we came here and I have found LA to be just, um, so much more open. A friend who traveled to LA when we were when we I was still living in New York came back, and I was I was wanting to move already, and so I asked him how what he how he found LA and compared to New York, and he said the most brilliant thing. He said, "New York is a no city, and LA is a yes city," and I have absolutely found that to be true, even if the yes is completely blown smoke up your ass. It just feels nicer than having a door slammed in your face, even though you know your answer in New York, whereas in L.A. Like if I if I actually did all the jobs I've been offered in L.A. by now, I'll have a great career. But, you know, you know how those project's come and go and everybody likes to talk, but everybody is manifesting here as they should be. <laughs> it's hard to know what's real and what's
2: uh, out there. So you mentioned that you had a manager that helped you land some roles. How quickly did you get your manager, and did you have an agent before? How did that process kind of start?
0: Um, Yeah, I'll be as like honest and transparent as I can with this. When I was in on the East Coast, I got this manager. How did I even get her? I don't even remember. But she was like a, a major player, and East Coast managers are a little different than West Coast. I feel like it's just sort of legality of like what they can submit you for and how they can function, because I feel like they... Can't function as much as an agent as managers here on the West Coast. Um, I don't know. It's been a minute since I've thought about that. Uh, but when I moved to the West Coast, I I stopped working with that that manager. I never. I had a commercial agent in on the East Coast, but I never had a theatrical agent. But in on the East Coast, you do things like oh, what is the word that they use? It's not hip pocketing. I forget the word, but it's essentially like dating and you can like you can be dating like two or three different theatrical agents on the East Coast. And they want to do that to sort of try you out and see if you'll book Um so is it freelance? Maybe that's the word. I think that's the word. I'm freelancing with, with so-and-so and so-and-so. Um, but I never, I never got signed on the East Coast. Um, but when I came here, I did a few showcases. Um, and a woman I met at the very first showcase I did, I really bonded with her. I liked her a lot and she liked me. Um, and, and that was when I came out to LA to kind of stick my feet in the water before we actually moved. And as soon as we moved, I did another showcase and she happened to attend. And after that, she was like, Let's work together. This is going to be great. And she was wonderful, and I had a really great tenure with her. Um, She, because of her own health, decided to leave the business about um, a year and a half, two years ago. Um, Her daughter is a celebrity in her own right, so she decided to just manage her daughter. So she left the business, and her replacement at the agency we seem to hit it off, I thought. Um, and after pilot season this year, y'all, this is where it gets real. She dropped me after five years with that agency and, you know, a lot of like life ups and downs. Um, yeah, I got dropped in April, which was Really, the first time that's happened to me, which is kind of rare, I'm realizing, you know, the more I talk about it with my friends, they're like, oh, yeah, I've had two or three agents and like, oh, no, i am decided I'm not working with them or they dropped me. So whatever, I'm moving on. So I'm just like going through that own process of like, oh, that really stung. But then realizing, oh, I'm taking that personally. It was a business. I didn't make enough money for her. It was that was like the line in the sand. I think it is something that, you know, there's a lot of shame around. You don't want to talk about being dropped because it... it I feel like it makes me look like' I'm, a, I'm the loser in the situation and it's just business. Um, I do have a wonderful manager who is so supportive and nurturing and we have and her name happens to be Meredith so you know she's a great person. Um, so we talk a lot and and she's very nurturing and supportive and like helps me sort of strategize and cultivate what our next steps will be and we actually had a really great conversation yesterday um, and and part of me, you know, I understand going back to like the business side of the agents, agent relationship. They want to make money. I, of course, want to make money, but I also want to make projects that um, I believe in and want to be behind and want to be a part of so um, I can put my energy into making projects move forward. And I think that's what I'm, I'm doing right now. And I also feel like um, ha- Proving that my name has value is something that's important for me as an actor to do, because so many of my friends and me included have booked jobs that I have essentially like orchestrated because of my own relationships. Um, So I will definitely continue to do that. But one of the things is I don't want to like convince an agent to take me on their roster because in six months and they're going to be like, who is this girl? Why are you repping her? Drop And it's going to happen. I would rather spend my energy adding value to my name, proving that I am a viable, you know, um, commodity sounds gross, but, you know, that that I can make money as an actor and as a producer um, and have an agent who sees the path to take me and my career forward, sees my value and wants to work together, find me. You know, I feel like when you're doing the work and when you're moving forward the, the right partner will come find you rather than me trying to beg an agent to put me on the roster.
1: Yeah, I guess it's always better to be chased rather than to be to be the chasing one.
0: Right. And, you know, I, I have one of the things that 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 very first agent that I got in L.A., um, she told me, she's like, it's your job. You're new to L.A. It's your job to get to know Everybody, especially every casting director in town. So I did not take that responsibility lightly. You know, um, at that time, uh, workshops were more of a vibrant uh, option than they are now. But, you know, I just dove in and met every single person I I possibly could. And I feel like I am really good about... um, following up and maintaining those relationships so you know i have a i have strong relationships with casting and because i've worked in network tv i have relationships with producers and that kind of thing too and so you know i really try to keep those relationships alive and like i said before like it's about those relationships um when you're going to be hiring why hire a stranger if somebody that you know you love to spend 12 hours on set with is available you know so um I am good at cultivating those. And now I have so many relationships, especially with casting, that with a manager and with my relationships and also my um, wherewithal to either pick up the phone or write an email or do a drop off. I am not worried about not having an agent right now. Like, yes, I'd love a job in TV and I'm going to target specific shows. And I know those casting directors and we have a relationship and I have a manager. But otherwise, I'm gonna put my energy into making something that I can be a part of. You
1: mentioned that you were building relationships with casting directors. And um, as starting out actors, we know that um, our colleagues are sending out postcards to uh, casting directors that do a lot of research on specific TV shows, and they try to approach them at social occasions. How did you do it outside of workshops? How did you communicate with casting directors?
0: Hmm, that's a good question. Um I would see the workshop or just the first interaction whether it's an audition you get called in for or whatever as like uh, my first touch with that person and then it's up to me to follow up. Um so I would always, you know, follow up with a thank you note. Um I either do uh, paper postcards knowing that the point is that my face comes across there their desk today and they're like oh hey yeah no, Meredith throw it away like that's what happens but that's why you do it because you never know what's coming across their desk from the other side as far as roles that they're casting um so do it even like do it without attachment to the outcome um I also try to I try to interact in an organic way. Like if a casting director that I know um, moves up to a director position, a casting director position rather than associate, or moves from assistant to associate, send them a congratulations note or postcard, um, or email. I, I try to keep people updated with like a newsletter um, of what I'm up to. But I do find that that's a little um, impersonal. So it's Sort of a blanket email to a couple hundred people rather than individual ones. I read the trades daily. And when I see news, like I said, like somebody gets promoted or their show gets renewed or something, send them a thank you. Like be a person and don't always be asking for something. Because I think that's where the, that stereotype of a needy actor came to be, um, because it's not always about like, hey, don't forget about me. Cast me in something. It's 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 got to come from a place of like, good for you. Congratulations. I see you killing it out there. Or, hey, how can I help this project that you're doing? What can I do to assist you and support you as you're following your path? So I try to do that. Um, there's a number of organizations out there that um, allow for or just kind of sort of give you the opportunity for collaboration um, and almost like networking without any sort of like dirty sense of the word. Um, I mean, I'm a member of the TV Academy, so I go to those events and I meet people and enter the room as someone who's looking for collaborators, not, I'm a needy actor and I need a job, you know, because I think that's like it, it, it reeks, you know, that you can tell. Um I'm a member of Women in Film and I'm very involved there. Um, there's another wonderful organization that's pretty new. Um, in January, it changed its name to um, Glass Elevator. Uh, it's a 100% free organization and it's 100% women. And I hope you'll look up uh, glasselevate.com. Um You have to qualify for membership, but it's free and it's a great way to um, interact with potential collaborators, with um, other women in different crew positions and learn about their positions. Um, to host events and just meet your community so I'm constantly trying to walk that line of, of like why to follow up with what how um, you know and how to be a person on the other end of an email not just a needy actor
1: so let's unpack your resume um, we'd like to explain to our audience different levels at which um, an actor can perform um, in a TV series we know that we've got background actors so they don't have any lines um and there's plenty of them on sets um and then what what comes next i mean you've you've been through this journey so um what is a day player or a co-star or a guest star or then recurring or tv tv series regular right what do these things actually mean
0: well you know the probably the easiest way to to break it down as just thinking in terms of contracts, which really means money. And if you go on SAG's website, you can look at the minimums for each of these positions, and then you can know, like, oh, it's it's essentially billing, and that's what it really means. Um, uh, I don't know about background. I don't, I don't know how much background uh, makes a day or, like, what that rate is. Um, but then once you, you know, get into speaking roles, um, and there's some different sort of jargon for different uh, size of roles, but CoStar sometimes you'll hear the word under five or the word day player. And those are typically soap opera words, I th- I think. Like that's typically when they're used um, when you obviously have five lines or less. Or day player, you're on for one day. Um, co-stars are often one day as well. Um, co-stars are sort, of, are sort of the smaller roles. Like if you think of a crime procedural... Okay, I'll give you an example with one of my um, jobs. So I was in Criminal Minds and those are crime procedurals where every week there's a new killer. They have probably killed one or two people and they're about to kill another one. And right before they kill that person, the stars swoop in and they have solved the crime and they arrest the bad guy and set the you know victim free. So I was the, one of the victims who actually got killed. Um, and so because I had a few lines um, in one scene just to sort of set up who I was and then a few lines with interacting with the killer of the week. And then he killed me. Um, So I was the co-star. And there was another woman who was sort of at that level as well, who had a couple lines with him, also got killed. There was a third woman. It's always the women who get killed, isn't it? A third woman who... had a little more, a little longer scene. And she's the one who the killer had been sort of stalking throughout the hour. And at like, you know, five minutes till the hour, that's when the killer's in her apartment and they have this long scene and like chasing around the apartment. Um, But then the the stars come in and, and she didn't get killed. So she was a guest star role. And the killer of the week was also a guest star. So he had more scenes. He interacted with me. He interacted with the other co-star. He interacted with the guest star. And the the whole episode was essentially about his journey. But then that was his only journey. Like, he didn't come back. He went to jail. We're moving on to the next killer next week. So that kind of sets up when you watch an episode, you know. Um, and and the, the recurring thing is a little gray, too, because something like... Um, like, I don't know why friends just popped into my head, but it's a dated one, but I'll use it. Um, like the the barista in the the cafe that they that the series regulars always go to is probably gonna be the same person or maybe the same two people who would kinda rotate. Um, so it's still co-star level pay, but the contract probably says that you're gonna be in seven of thirteen episodes or something like that. Um So that, yes, you recur. And and it's a boost on the resume, too, like for a casting director to say, like, oh, she's been a recurring co-star. That's that's something more substantial. Um, And then, you know, like I said, guest stars would be sort of the featured um, storyline of the week. But you can also be a recurring guest star where you might be, I don't know, the lawyer of a main character who is in and out of the courtroom for the entire season, so you might come back and, and your contract would say how many episodes you're going to be in. Um, but that's also super fluid, too, because uh, I just was in Atlanta um, recently and having a great conversation with um, Kimberly Wisted from uh, Finn Cannon Casting. And she was talking about how, you know, she can't even count the number of times where they hired a co-star and the writers knew that that small role had the potential of recurring and then because the actor showed up and was like a great person that they just liked and brought some imagination to the role um, that the writers were like, Oh, we see how this could go and we'll add to it and we'll expand it. And then this co-star can become a recurring co-star, but it could also become a, a guest star. And of course there's always a possibility that that could elevate with screen time to become a, a regular on a show. So we talked about how you were a professional dancer and how,
2: that actually helps you to land a role. Do you think that your dancing has been a handy
0: skill while auditioning? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's rare that I get to move in in a TV audition, you know, like unless I mean, now there's a couple of shows that are about like performing arts high schools. And so those are the kind of shows that I target because I have a not only a special skill, but like I'm a professional level, you know, at this thing that I can do on camera on cue without any other help. You know, um, so for sure, I feel like it's a it's a huge benefit. Um, it's something I wish I got to do more often. You know, I'd actually love in my own um, producing life to find a script. Ooh, so anybody out there who has a script about about dance that I can incorporate, whether it's a short or um, even a feature, you know, I'd love to. It's one of my passions to bring dance to a larger audience. So definitely to bring it um, on screen, like through media is is a much more powerful or uh widely available medium than than concert dance, which is where I came from. Um, But, you know, to be able to tell a story about finding your voice through movement or to speak to young girls at the moment where they're having so many issues with their body and how they, you know, compare to their other friends and how boys think about them and, and all of this stuff to to empower girls to see themselves in a more positive light. Um, and to take ownership of their body and, and how it looks. And, and that, that is the, the, it's, this is an amazing vessel that you get to have and to love it rather than to start off as a teenager already hating it. I had that revelation not too long ago when I realized, oh my God, it's been like 20 years that I've been hating my thighs. And I'm just like, what the fuck is wrong with me? No, it ends now. Stop. And I'm going to tell myself every day how much I love me. You know, and that much I love my body and really cultivate that. And Lord, to do that when you're in your late 30s, rather than when you're in your late teens, sets you up for a whole different life and a whole different perspective on how you move through the world. So to empower young girls to love themselves, especially through movement, is something that, you know, any writers out there with a story like that, find me. (laughs) And how about being from the South? Do you find that is a disadvantage or an advantage when you go into audition? Well, that's another thing I, I, I focus on. Um, there are a lot of shows, one, of course, that shoot in the South, but that are also set in the South. Um, and so, look, it's part of my DNA. It's like how, I, you know, for the first 20-something years of my life, the influences are strong, and it is just a part of who I am. It's a part of who walks in the room. Um, so why not take advantage of it? Um, you know, I'll have a couple of drinks, and my, my Southern accent will come out a lot more. Um but I can definitely call on that easily and authentically, and I feel really comfortable doing that. Um, and so for sure, it is uh, an advantage. Um, and so I target shows where I can bring my full self, you know, because I, th- I think, especially at my level of going out for larger co-stars and for guest stars and that kind of thing, um, I am looking to empower a show with... My authenticity um, with like I walk in the room and I just am that thing. It's not can I be it? Can I become it? You know, and so um, for something to just fit like a glove, especially when the shows are, fit, are set in the South uh, and I can bring that element to it authentically and immediately uh, is a huge benefit. Um there's a lot of Southerners out here in L.A., and so I find I, I literally have Roll Tide on my resume because I graduated from the University of Alabama, <laughs> and I can't tell you the number of times that I've had great conversations, I mean, usually about football, come on, um, but because that's on my resume. But, you know, it's a it's a different conversation than I would ever have had if I, if I had uh, not put that on my resume. Have you ever
2: gone into an audition and actually done... An American accent on purpose versus keeping your Southern accent? Or do you normally typically just keep your true
0: authentic accent? Um, I think it depends on the project because, you know, especially for TV, especially if something is established and I can watch an ap- a couple of episodes, I'll know where it's set and I'll know the world and it'll be in the breakdown whether or not this woman is Southern. Um, because so often uh, uh, my auditioning process now is self tapes. Um, If I feel like there's an inkling of, like, there might be the possibility that that my Southerness could be a benefit, I'll do two takes, one with and one without. Um, But typically, if I'm going in a room and it's not in a breakdown anywhere and the show is not set in the South, then I'll go in neutral. Do you think you have a type as an actor? Um... I think everybody has a type. And it's, like, it's up to you to know that and to be true to it. Because... We're humans are judgmental and it's not necessarily a bad thing. You walk in the room and somebody like you're ticking off these mental boxes of like, oh, you do this, this and this. You look like this. This is the type of job you would have. I mean, especially in casting, I have a hard time looking more blue collar, you know, like looking more working class. I definitely don't look like I'm strung out on drugs, you know, like I just I wouldn't be that victim in a procedural um, I walk in the room with, you know, an upscale polish because probably because I'm Southern and, you know, like my mama liked things like makeup and do your hair and, you know, you wear makeup all the time, even to the gym. Um, so I, I love fashion. So I really like to get dressed and and enter the room with all of that. That's just me. Um, so that definitely influences, you know, my type. I, I even like to say I'm a bullheaded Southern belle. I often worry that people think that means you have an accent and you can't lose it. So, you know, that's a line to walk to. Um, But there's some great resources out there for actors to sort of figure out their type because sometimes your visual is different than the way you think you come across. Um, So if you're a member of SAG... There's the great classes in the SAG Foundation that can help with branding and typing um, where, you know, a, a room of your peers will be given. It's literally a checklist with adjectives, with um, professions that they think based on your look, like before you even speak, based on your look, uh, what, where they think you fit. And it can really help because that's exactly what casting, especially casting who doesn't know you, is, is thinking. It can also help as you're putting together your headshots. You know, like I don't have a headshot that looks like I'm a strung out heroin addict because I don't I think that's a real stretch for me. And I and I, right now it's not that doesn't make sense for me to try to stretch to that when there are so many women who can fit that immediately without blinking. But I do fit different types. And so I want to make sure my headshots say like, oh, she could be this or this or this Um I took this incredible course through this um this wonderful man named Sam Christensen, who sadly passed away last year and he was just such a generous human a casting director, um but who developed this whole technique for typing, but really for sort of knowing yourself and knowing what you bring into the room, um which which gave me a whole confidence into um. Again, how I walk into the room. But when I read a breakdown, like, oh, is this my essence or is this going to be a stretch? And sure, there's room for stretching as an actor. But um, what I'm going to book is the thing that I book over anybody else, the thing that I book without trying. And so uh, through Sam's class, we came up with um, it's kind of a list of of like adjectives or things like that, that when I read a breakdown and I see certain words, I know that people see me as those things. You know, whether it's like sophisticated or, or relaxed or independent, intelligent, graceful. I mean, you know, 30 years of ballet, it's hard to not walk in a room with some sort of like I have an upscale feel to just the way I move. Um, so reading those kind of things in a breakdown makes me say like, oh, I am really right for this. So I am going to make sure I get submitted and make sure I get an, an opportunity to be seen for it. Um, you mentioned
1: that you studied Meisner. How do you prepare for auditions now? Do you do you have a checklist? Do you follow a specific process? You also mentioned that you do um, a lot of self-tapes.
0: I do do a lot of self-tapes. Lord, this is like the new name of the game. I'm just so impressed with actors these days because you literally have to be a filmmaker to be an actor, to, to be a viable candidate for a job because you have to know how to set up lighting and a camera, even if it's your iPhone, which I totally tape on my phone because I have a the the iPhone X. so It has an amazing camera. But I have also had a DP come over to my apartment and help me set up the light so I know exactly how to do that. And, you know, have a proper backdrop. And I have a shotgun mic that I use. And, you know, you have to know how to edit those things to be able to submit them. And you got to be able to do a lot to be an actor. And just remember, actors are impressive. Just remember, actors out there, it's noticeable. You're impressive. Um... What was the question? Sorry, how do I prepare for an audition? <laughs> um, so yeah, since my Meisner days, I mean, I'm glad that was my foundation, but I've definitely grown into um, other techniques and sort of adding things to my toolbox and and being able to approach things in different ways. Um, I'll give a couple of resources that I that I love for specifically this kind of thing. Um, my first couple of years in town, I studied with uh, an, a, a coach named Diana Castle whose studio is called the Imagine Life Studio, and she is just the most wonderful human being. You know, take her class. Everybody should take her class because it just makes you be a better person, not even a better actor, a better person. She teaches empathy like nobody else. Um, and so her, the, the way she t- tells her actors to approach a script is to, quote, absorb the script which really just means to uh, activate all five senses so I take my time when I get sides say it's four pages in an ideal world I like to do the same number of hours as the number of pages to really like do all of my work that I want to to have a fully fleshed out um, uh, my take on the character Uh, sometimes I don't get that much time but um, so I, I really take my time absorbing the script which is my way of saying memorizing because I don't like to memorize it by rote. I like to absorb through imagery. Um, and then um, I will record the uh, scene partners lines like i just record them on a voice memo on my phone, leaving space for my lines. um so then I can run it um, and make sure I have it down pat so I'm not I'm not leaving uh, like you know too much space like during the actual running of it um. I will challenge myself once I think I know it to run it while I'm doing an activity, while I'm like literally sort of trying to live in the world that the that the script is taking place. Um, so improvising within that, um, and this is all stuff that my current acting coach Stephen Book um, has has sort of given us a, a good guideline to um, to make strong choices uh, in, in auditions, Through after I've, I've really gotten it down in my brain and in my body, I'll make some emotion choices, like break down the script into beats and choose. And it's always about what did the writer intend? So I'm trying to look for that, especially in TV. It's kind of easy to figure out, you know, why is this character appearing in this series right now? Um, and so to make those choices based on what the writers needs this character to function as in this episode. Um, I also use um, Amy Linden's book. Uh, I forget the name of the book, but it's um, if you just look her up, um, it's an audition sort of technique. And it's, it's literally a checklist. And she wants you to go through and be able to answer these. I think it's 15 questions about things that you should have gleaned from all of this work, um, sort of mining the script um, at this point in your rehearsal effort. Um, and then if I'm putting it on tape, um, that conversation I was telling you about recently that I had with um, Finn Cannon Caston, um, Mark Finn Cannon um, m- made this really great. Uh, he sort of gave a note to the group um, and said he thinks you should turn the camera on and then do like a 10 second improvisation in character in the world of the script, and then start the you know the sides, go through the whole sides, and at the end. Have another little improv that's happening, like, what's next um, in the world of this person? Um, And then, of course, before you submit that tape, you'll go in and snip off the beginning and the end, those improvisations. But it'll just give the character life. So it's not like an an actor robot who suddenly hears action and says the first line. Um, You know, Diana has a wonderful quote. I hope I get it right. Um, Just because you know your lines doesn't mean you have anything to say. And I just love that because it really it's about bringing a human being to this role and to the script and to what the person on the other side of the camera is seeing. Do you still get nervous for auditions? For sure. I mean, I think that means you're alive. <laughs> I, I have I have decided to shift my language around it and to say I'm excited Um And even just to not use the A word anymore, um, but this is a totally Diana thing. um, It's an opportunity. Like, I get an opportunity to act today, and I am excited. You know, so that's how I can talk about um, these audition opportunities. Because audition feels needy, and opportunity feels exciting. So, you know, a shift in language for myself is, it it also helps me detach from the outcome. Like, I already get to act today. I'm going to go in there and do my take on this, I'm going to be this character for the three minutes that I'm in that room. It's my job during that three minutes. And then whatever happens, happens. Maybe they were looking for a a blonde, you know? Maybe I look like the director's ex-wife. I can't control any of that, but I can control my take in the room for that three minutes. Do you have any
2: tips or tricks that you do to relax your nerves before? I've heard some people meditate. I've had some people... Someone told me that they take incense or they take. Um, like essential oil? Essential oil, and they smell it before they. Some actors just have a different routine
0: every time. Do you have a certain routine that you do? Um, you know, not necessarily a routine, but I try to be conscious of um, is the character nervous or is Meredith nervous? And if the character's nervous, great, use it, go. But if the character's not nervous, then I don't have any business being nervous. You know, that's not my job in this moment. Um, I really focus on, you know, one of the one of Diana's big things that is really important for all actors is you just have to take on the story as your truth. So quit saying, the character is doing da-da-da-da. It's I am doing so-and-so. Um, so, like, what am I actually there to do? Am I there to talk to the police after my son disappeared? Or am I there to talk to a casting director as a nervous actor about this story about a woman who's talking to the police about her son disappearing? No. I'm there to talk to the police about my son disappearing or whatever the story is. Um, so I really focus on that story and, like, I'm there to talk to the police. I've got to tell them the facts or whatever the sto- the, the imagined story is. Um I really try to dig into that while I'm sitting in that waiting room. And again, it's almost like Mark's notes of improvising on a self-tape before it it rolls. It's like I'm doing that kind of internally, um, improvising around the moment before as, you know, some Meisner coach or something like that might coach you um, so that I have a real life going on as I come into that room. I'm already in the story. I'm not waiting for action to be in the story.
1: Um, you've started and produced a few web series available on YouTube. How did you get into it and, and why did you do it in the first place?
0: Well, being an actor first, like an actor only, like thankfully I'm in a position where I don't have to have a day job. Um, I got time on my hands, girl. So I'm like, what else can I do? Ooh, let me make stuff. Um, and I highly encourage everybody to do it just for, like I said earlier, how actors have to be filmmakers just to do a self-tape. If you can do a self-tape, you can produce a small series easily. Um, and it's just getting those filmmaker skills under your belt that teach you so much more than being an actor on set would teach you when you're just an actor, just wearing that hat. I mean, just understanding once you go into pose for your own series, how much or how important it is to have excellent sound. You don't understand that until you get shitty sound. And then you're like, ah, oh, well, I can't use this, you know? And so you understand how important sound is. You understand what a, I don't know, a camera operator does, like a, an AC or a focus puller and all these roles that you've already heard about, but you haven't really, um, you don't really know what they do until you're the one producing it. And you realize how important all of those different uh, crew positions are and, and how you want to um, surround yourself with those collaborators. Um yeah, so I started making a couple um the the one that was the most fun and sort of the easiest to do is called Autocorrect FU. Um uh, and a, a friend of mine, um Christina Hepburn, had this idea to take real uh, text conversations that had ha- that had an autocorrect that made them hilarious and make them into sketches as if the person actually meant the thing that they accidentally texted. And so they're just so funny and they're so relatable because everybody has accidentally texted like their parents something that came across as really sexual that they didn't really mean to, but it was an autocorrect, and therefore it is so funny. So, um, that was a really fun thing to do that we literally made in our um in our apartments, you know, uh, we had a friend who's a director and he kind of doubled as the DP um, and he knew what he was doing as far as lights. So he would set up the lights. But through doing it and, and Christina and I made enough sketches to do a new one every week for a year. So we really dug in and did it. Um, but, it, it, you know, it teaches you a lot about the the schedule of of something episodic um, and how you have to stay on top of those uh, scripts and how to find comedy beats in a script um how to do something 15 takes all of that kind of stuff that that you should just be practicing this is kind of the whole um you know uh rehearsing your instrument tuning your instrument um doing all that kind of stuff it's just it's just important and it's such uh it's it's such an easy thing to it's such an easy easy thing to to do it's like why not um Another thing that I found really, really, really enlightening is in doing something like this, I'd have to cast some roles. My very first web series I did, I did a Kickstarter campaign, which I also recommend for every single person so you can see how hard it is. Then you'll donate to everybody, every friend of yours who's doing it. Um, And I made a series about a southern girl moving to New York. Um, And it was super fun and it was more of a scripted series um, and episodic. And, you know, I do a lot of things differently if I went back and did it again now, but it was a great experience just to... Learn producing and to um, expand my community of collaborators. I had made a friend as a casting director, a friend who is a casting director. And so I called her and I was like, I got no money. Will you help me cast this? And she was like, Absolutely. I love doing side projects. So she um, brought in pe- actors that she loved. And I got to the, the um, a very eye opening thing that I, this is why I recommend it to actors to do, is sitting on the side of the table with the casting directors watching the actors come in and read, I learned an incredible amount. I mean, more than you can realize when you're just sitting on the other side and watching. You see our actors shoot themselves in the foot. You see how actors come in with that neediness. Don't ask if you can move the chair. If you want to move the chair, move the chair. It's your audition. (laughs) Things like that, or wanting to chit chat about weather. It's just like, Actors get to the point, and you—I mean, I'm sure I probably did those things before I sat on the other side of the of the table and realized how how useless or in the way or like muddying their opinion of me it is. Um, so that was a really great experience that I highly recommend. And you also see what works and what doesn't, like what is like so enthralling that I can't look away and what's really boring. And actually, it's not interesting, you know, in a different way than you do when you're the one auditioning. So um, I think that's really, really important. Um, I really got involved in once I decided I wanted to sort of up my level of producing um, with women in film. um, At the time, they had a a production program that focused um, just on PSAs. And so, um, the the wonderful thing about it is that it's it's sort of built in networking. Like you have to have a team of a writer, director, producer. So I volunteered to be a producer and got paired with a woman um, who's a, an incredible director, and her star is totally on the rise. And we are very close friends now. Um, and and through it, you meet so many other people who are going to volunteer to crew on your on your PSA. And you know, I didn't know what I was what I was really getting into. This is like the the ignorance of naivete and how you'll just say yes to anything because you want to make it happen. And it's my personality to just make it happen. So I think we had a budget of like $5,000 and we made this incredible PSA. You can see it online. If you Google on on YouTube, it's for um, River LA is the organization it was made for, um, which is the nonprofit that keeps the LA River clean. Um, If you go on their YouTube channel or if you just Google on YouTube, um, Bird Photobombs Selfie. It'll come up. Um, but because of because of honestly having the women in film name behind us, I was able to pick up the phone, which also just makes you shameless and fearless. So just do it. You'd pick up the phone and and call and say, like, I'm making this PSA for a nonprofit. They don't have a budget. We have no money. Will you help us? And you'll be amazed at the people who came on board. We had a Red Dragon camera strapped to a drone like we had to go through the FAA because we had, we're working on a drone on the L.A. River, we had a cast of probably more than 80 people. We had vintage cars, skateboarders, um, a Tai Chi group, uh, uh, kayakers. um I mean, it was it it, looking back, I'm just like, oh, my God, we accomplished so much in that in that production. Um, And to top to like put the whipped cream on top of this Sunday, we went to Sony and asked because we had a connection through River L.A. um, for a CGI bird. They made us a CGI bird. That it, so the the premise is that a bird grabs somebody's camera while they're taking a selfie and flies over the whole L.A. River. And you see all the things that are happening on the river. And it's really a beautiful story. And um, and this incredible CGI bird that we got donated to this production. So it's probably a $100,000 commercial that we made for $5,000, you know. Um, just because I was given that task and I was just like, well, what's the worst they can say? No. I'm going to call them and ask. And I just started asking, and I got a bunch of no's, but kept asking and eventually got yeses. And we came up with something that's really great, and and it will have a legacy. And so um, I highly recommend producing. And and, and even if you don't want to sort of take the reins yourself, but getting involved with organizations like Women in Film, um, who still has that production program. Now it, it focuses less on PSAs. Um, and more on on things like shorts and um, proof of concepts and pilots and stuff like that. So there are definitely organizations out there that will give you the opportunity, even if you just associate produce, if you just PA on somebody else's set, just to be on the other side of the camera and, um, and get that on-set experience.
1: Well, you've also produced um, another, um, another show, Flip the Script, with like Bell. Can you tell us a little bit? about that
0: yeah absolutely so that's that's again from my relationship with women in film um and it's interesting it's because I had done autocorrect and the autocorrect series was screening at a festival um when another woman was in the audience screening her short and she saw the autocorrect sort of uh formula of like sort of standalone episodes and taking real conversations that existed and flipping them and her name's Allie Eisman and she approached me at that that festival, and said, "I have this idea for like conversations that happen in the workplace between women and men, but flipping the genders. What do you think about this? And so she had gotten a bunch of conversations that had really happened in the real world between typically men at sort of a higher level and women who were you know under them in a in a corporate hierarchy, and just the fucked up things that the male um entitlement allowed some men to say that were hilarious when you flipped it and had a woman saying it to a man. It was just laughable because nobody would speak to a man like that. So Allie and I took this idea and developed it into this series of standalone you know, episodes. And because I was working with Women in Films uh, PSA program, I knew they were looking for something scripted and something more for their own YouTube channel um, rather than for a nonprofit, which is how we had sort of done it before. So Allie and I pitched it to the PSA program, and that executive director, um, Tessa Bell, loved it. And so she connected us to the executive director and the president of Women in Film. And we pitched it all the way up the line there at Women in Film, and they decided to give us the financing to make the first season. So we made those four episodes. And and it was, again, you know, they gave us a budget that was bigger than what I had for the PSA, but it was still calling in lots of favors, Um, but because somebody as generous as Lake Bell came on board and she is a board member of Women in Film, so she saw the opportunity, she loved what we were saying with it, she came on board and then picked up the phone and called some of her friends. She called Jeff Garland and she called Michaela Watkins. And, you know, people like that came on board. Um, I had another uh, opportunity to call a casting director who I was friendly with and say, hey, I, I do have a little bit of money now. And this is for women in film. Would you come on board? And so that's Jamie Rudowski And she came on board and and help us um, flesh out the rest of the, the cast. Um, And it really came together very well. And it was, you know, highly visible, especially in the industry and um, got a lot of people talking. And and that was the thing that really made me realize how powerful media can be as far as having conversations about something that's in the zeitgeist like gender parity and how important those conversations have to be and how how much in the forefront. And Ali taught me the lesson that if you can do it with comedy, people are much more comfortable with those conversations and much more likely to actually have them.
1: So um, you're an actor and you're also a producer. Can you tell us a little bit about what a producer
0: actually does? Oh, it's such a tough thing to define that I'm learning every time I produce. You know, um, I had somebody say one time that a producer does everything that you can't hire somebody else to do. Which kind of makes sense, like as far as a, you know, I don't, I don't direct and I don't run the camera. I hire all those kind of people. Um, it's really like a, a connector of of um, of individuals of collaborators, like bringing the the collaborative bodies together, um, figuring out um, a budget along with a line producer, um, figuring out how you're going to get that thing made, um, having an eye to where it's going to go. Um, because that's something that's that's always a challenge, you know, um, especially for low budget and indie stuff is if you're going to live online, how are you going to cut through the clutter? Who's your audience? How are you going to find that audience? So from all of your roles, which one would you say is your favorite? Getting your head cut off. That was crazy. <laughs> you know, it's the things that you don't expect when you're like, oh, right, this ends with me literally lying in a pool of fake blood and having to like – uh, bring the uh, like whisper to the costume lady to come over and be like um, can I have a pair of panties from the costume shop because I am soaked through with this fake blood and I had to go shower in my trailer and like get extra everything from from the costume shop to be able to leave because I was so covered in blood. <laughs> Um, that was a that was a, a fun, like, kooky and, and wild, like, definitely crime procedural thing. Um, Devious Maze was pretty wonderful because I got to do it in the South, which and I'm from the South, and so I, I love to be able to work there. Um, it was incredible to be on set with Susan Lucci. Um, and I feel like that's really sort of, like, on brand for me, like, that type of show that's— um, very polished and sophisticated and elevated, but also a little tongue in cheek, has a sexiness and a, but also a coyness to it, you know. Um, I feel like that, that role, uh, was my, my wheelhouse, um, like on brand most, I guess I should say. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but there's been also others, you know, smaller, wonderful things that, that I'm just like proud to have been a part of, even in a small, um, a small role and and now producing I can see how having a piece of media that changes conversations or that at least gets people talking um and something that will is, is like a legacy it will stay around because this stuff you know once you create it it's out there um and that's like that's why I'm I'm putting my attention right now into getting two features made so this will be my whichever one happens first will be my first feature um And I'm really excited about that opportunity. Um, One is a a faith-based movie, and we're halfway financed right now. And so we're just looking for a a couple more investors to finish the capitalization of that project. And then we'll be rolling by the end of the year. It's going to happen. By the end of the year, I will have my first feature in the can. Yeah. And then I have another feature about... um, uh, public school teachers and the heavy lifting that they do because my mother was a was a public school teacher, so it was my father. I came up through that whole system. Um and these are like unsung heroes of our of our nation who are completely forgotten very often, especially by our government. So that's a story that I'm really passionate about telling and that um can give a voice to people who have a hard time being heard in our in our nation. Um so that's another story that I really want to get behind and get made. Um, and that's, that's where it excites me to be able to, to have some energy to, to put behind a project, even if it's, you know, figuring it out as I go. Because one of the things I realize as I step out of the acting path, you know, completely focused on that, as I, as I start to have other interests that I want to cultivate, I realize everybody else is figuring it out, too. There is no formula. There's no set path. Everybody is figuring it out every day. And so it's okay for me to be doing that, too. So um,
1: we've heard that you are an expert on self-tapes.
0: The whole self-tape thing, yeah. It's it's a game that has really, uh, like a, a element of the game that has really come up, um, in, especially in the last year, maybe two, because productions are outside of L.A. so much more. Um, it, the great thing is that so many more people get more opportunities. I mean, I probably get requested to self-tape a couple times a week. So I'm doing it a lot. Um, but I'll also say that I decided to study the the technique around self taping over the past year. So I don't know if it was like a, a something clicked like in one time at one time, but because I really studied it. Um, I know I have gotten much better. And, and by that, I mean, you know, so often it's just hard to watch yourself after you do it. And I'm just like, ugh, I don't know. Just send it. It's fine. But I had to like get, get over that shit and really start to look. Um, and, uh, uh well, f- the first thing I did is I decided to practice self tapes. So pretty much uh, it as the schedule of the year, you know, like we we're about to hit the 4th of July and from then till Thanksgiving is fall episodic season, but you know, mid-November, definitely from Thanksgiving through really through Sundance until pilot season kicks back up is a, a slower time of year. Um, so after Thanksgiving last year, I, I and a friend, we started to do um, self-tapes every single day. She would read for me and then I would read for her. Every single day we would do a self-tape, We'd just pull sides online. You know, actors know where to find stuff like that and just work on something um, every day. And at the end of the week, I would watch my five from that week and just be like, oh, my gosh, I am nodding the entire time or wow, I never blinked or I'm holding my mouth weird when I'm listening or just things that you you wouldn't know unless you are looking at it and really trying to look at it as an audience member, not as yourself. Um uh, and then I, I I made a list of like, OK, here's a here's a few things that I need to work on just technically. Um, also using the frame, like, again, be a filmmaker about it. Um, never starting the uh, the tape with an empty frame because that that's what casting sees and you don't want them to see an empty frame be way far back in the frame and and approach. Maybe that's what you want to do. That helps tell the story. um but being conscious about that, and this is this kind of goes back to the whole moment before thing. have a life going on before the camera rolls. Um, so again, playing with your frame, playing with where you are in the frame and and the reader, um, that kind of thing, uh, doing a couple, like consciously doing a take where you're you're really, um, Using your body, like you have a lot of physicality, you're using a lot of props, even if they're like space props, um, but you're doing that a lot. Um, and then immediately following it up with a take where you do almost nothing, um, because that's probably the one that you're going to submit. Um being really conscious of eye lines and making your uh, making it more interesting because you have strong choices in your eye lines. So it looks like you're talking to this person over here. Oh, and then somebody comes in the room and you see them and you're talking to them. And then you go back to person one. So having really strong setup for yourself of your eye lines. And it's just great practice. Of course, in a self tape, you're in charge of what you submit and you're in charge of how many times you do it. But then when you do get that in person audition, to go in the room and have those strong eyelines when there's not a person standing there, um, it really, you have to think of what it looks like from the producer's side who's watching this in, you know, maybe another country, definitely another room and on another day, Uh, not about the awkwardness of being in the room with a casting director, you know, because we're all playing pretend here. So you better believe what you want me to believe you're seeing and doing. Because that makes all the difference. Now I'm being mentored by a casting director through Women in Film. um, And she watched one of my self-tapes and gave me some feedback. And one of the things she said is, in a self-tape especially, get all up in that camera because that's as close as you're going to get to actually, like, meeting them. Yeah. And it's like when you shake somebody's hand and you look them right in the eye, you get a little bit of who they are. Mm -hmm. But you don't get that opportunity in a self-tape. So really... Connect with them as much as possible. Let them, like, get close to you um, rather than trying to show more of your body and, like, your physicality. Because you can do that maybe in the slate. But get up in there to let them see you so they feel like they know you and they know what you're bringing.
1: But if you were to give um, a piece of advice based on your career to date to somebody who's just starting out as an actor or to having a hard time, what would it
0: be? It's a hard one. It's a big one. Um, Well, like I said a moment ago, I think that's really important. There is no formula. And so to compare yourself to someone else is just devastating because there is no formula. Their path is not your path. It is not like the corporate world where you might do an internship and then get offered a full time position and then climb that corporate ladder and then you're the president of the company. It just it doesn't work like that in this industry until it does, you know, and that's the thing. Um, So it's completely unpredictable. Uh, I would say I had a friend say this to me a couple of days ago. It's learning how to be happy even if it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen for you. Whatever it is learning how to be happy anyway, because the probability of, quote, it happening is very low. So approach life like it's not going to happen. Find something that brings you bliss, that makes you want to get up out of the bed every day. And find a way to make your daily path bring you something that you're grateful about and that you're happy about. Because that is in your in your control. And there's so much else that's not. Um, some other little things like actor-specific. Um You got probably five seconds, maybe 10, at the top of an audition to get their attention. So do it. Be specific. Make strong choices and have a point of view. Um, Read the trades every day and know the business side of it. Be able to fall in love with the business side of it. And really what I mean by that is cultivate relationships. You know, like, yeah, casting directors are great to know, but... They're just going to give you an opportunity to come in the room. They actually don't do any choosing of the person who the actor who actually gets the part. So why not make friends with writers and producers? They do choose who who gets, you know, but not in an inauthentic superficial way, you know, like cultivate real relationships in this city. Um Carve out those f- – because it is so – It's especially in L.A., it's it's so big. There's so many casting directors. There's so many shows on so many platforms. So carve out a handful, like literally five, that you know you're right for, that your type fits into the world of. Know those five shows and, and like, where they are in the season as far as the terms of the year. Are they shooting yet? Are they wrapped? That kind of thing. Who's casting it? Um. And – stay keep your nose to the ground on those as far as um you know what's going on with those follow them on twitter follow those um creators know what's going on um yeah that it's gonna take 10 plus years so love it every day and find a way to be happy anyway
1: and that's all folks you can catch us on instagram and twitter at la is good for you Our podcast is recorded at Rosinante Studios in Delray. Recommended for all your low-budget recording and sound editing needs.